0: In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Those are the first words in the Bible. We we learn of how the universe was empty and formless and dark. There was a darkness and there was no life but for God moving over the surface. This morning as we come to the resurrection, as we come to John chapter 20, we, we come to not creation, but new creation. We come to, to things made new. We come to a new start to the universe, dare I say. We come to the beginning of eternity, in which we are now living. And which will come with, with its fullness when Jesus returns. I love John chapter 20. It's, it's a story that is so real. So uh, believable, these characters. We've got poor old Thomas at the end there. And I, I feel so sorry for him. You know, this poor man. Has gone down through history with the moniker of Doubting Thomas. Everybody picks on him. And as we'll see, I don't think it's fair to pick on poor old Thomas. But we'll come to that. We start with Mary at the beginning. We're not told very much about Mary. In fact, the first time she's appeared in the Gospel of John was in chapter 19 when we heard that she was at the cross. And this is the other time that we hear of her. Two mentions in the whole Gospel. And if we go through the other Gospels, Luke tells us uh, uh, a little bit, uh, and Matthew tells us a little bit. We, we know that she was um, one of the people who followed Jesus around. We know that she was one of the people whom Jesus cast a demon out of. In fact, many demons were cast out of Mary. But what we do know about her, scant as it is, is that she loved Jesus. She had experienced something of the power and the majesty of this man in her own life. I don't know if you can imagine having a whole bunch of demons in you. I hope not. <laughs> but, but I can imagine the thrill and the joy When this man cast them out, wouldn't wouldn't you follow him for the rest of your life? Wouldn't you dedicate everything that you have to him? And wouldn't you have been heartbroken that day when they nailed him to the cross? And you had planned to put spices on his body, to honor him in his death, but it was too late and the Sabbath was beginning and you weren't allowed to. And so you come on the Sunday, the first day of the week. The first day. While it's still dark. And you go to his tomb. Day one. In the darkness. And the tomb is open. must it have been like for Mary she spent the whole weekend in tears mourning the loss of of the friend and the person who saved her and she gets there and the body is gone she's not alone she's got a few other women with her verse 2 says that She reports, we went to the tomb. The other gospels say that there were other women with her. But what did they do? They they don't know what to do. They run and they find Peter. and They find the beloved disciple. They find John. And they say, come quickly. Look, the tomb is empty. Somebody has taken the body. As You see, at this stage, for Mary, she couldn't get her head around the fact that 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 i mean if the body's gone somebody's taken it <laughs> obvious isn't it you, you, a, a body from a grave doesn't get up and walk away somebody took it and, and those people who executed him they were so angry with him they they so disliked him they 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 wanted to, to just get at jesus and and surely they would have come and taken the body and hidden it away and she runs and and she finds Peter, and she finds John, and she says, come, 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 the body's gone. And, of course, Peter and John don't just sit down and say, oh, okay. They, they get up, and they run. Um, one of the guys I like reading, Mr. Wright, says that in these verses, just the first couple of verses, there is more running than in any of the rest of the Gospels. They run. And and they don't just run casually. They run full pelt as fast as they can. Poor old Peter, slightly older than John, he's puffing along and he's he's pumping his fists. John is just like a streak. This man who, who we're told loved Jesus so much. And he gets the tomb and yes, it is empty. And then he does a strange thing. Old John. He gets to the empty tomb. He sees the stone rolled away. And he stands outside. He doesn't go in. I wonder why he doesn't go in. Perhaps he's afraid of what he'll find. Perhaps the thought that Jesus is really gone is just too much for him to bear. Have you ever come to a, a moment in your life when, when, when there's that next step to be taken and, and there's like an emotional roadblock in front of you and you just, you just cannot step forward? Because when you find what you know you're going to find, it is going to break your heart. I think that's for John, at the entrance to the tomb, I, I will not believe it. If I don't see it, it's not true. And we find him there still as Peter finally arrives. I'm sure he's out of breath. (laughs) And you know what I love about Peter? He is just, he's a great character. He just goes straight into the tomb. What is this happening? What is this tall tale that Mary has told us? He walks in. And we're told then that eventually John outside steps in as well. And it's interesting. Peter, this shepherd of the church, the one who will lead the church. All we read about Peter is that he identifies the physical evidence of the empty grave. We learn that the strips of cloth with which Joseph and Nicodemus had wrapped Jesus' body are, are there. neat, on the bench. We learn that the, that the cloth of the head uh, is, is there, ni- neatly rolled up. Now, th- this cloth, in case you're wondering, was, was a, a thing that they tied around your chin and up over your head, so that when you're dead, your mouth doesn't drop open. It's not a good look, apparently. But this is the cloth, and, and, and somebody's taken it off, and neatly rolled it up and put it to the side. And, and you know, for this for this theologian Peter, all he sees is that Jesus is gone. And we read that, that he goes home, and he goes home. That's it. Next we find him, he's, he's in the upper room, and he's hiding for fear of his life. What about John? What about this beloved disciple? You know, this is amazing. This man who was reticent to step over the threshold into the tomb, he steps in, he sees exactly the same things that Peter sees. He sees the bench. He sees the grave clothes. He sees probably the spices. He he sees the, the, the cloth that went around the head. And we're told in verse 8, I believe, of of chapter 20, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and he believed. What did he believe? told in verse 9 that at this stage neither of them had really understood that the Scriptures said that Jesus had to be raised. There was no doubt it was going to happen. The Scriptures foretold it didn't understand that, but, you know, when he stepped over that threshold, it wasn't a, a disappointment, it wasn't a certainty that Jesus had been stolen that sprung into his head, it, it was this, this unexplainable certainty that Jesus is alive. He looked at the evidence. He said, the grave is empty. This doesn't look like a robbery. There is no mess. The stuff isn't strewn all over the cave. Something has happened here. I believe Jesus is alive. I can't explain that. I don't understand it. But he is alive. He must be. He saw. And he believed. And then he went home and went into hiding with Peter. (laughs) Isn't that strange? I think sometimes we're a bit like John, aren't we? Do we not know of people who have this inkling that Jesus is God, that Jesus is alive, and then walk away from it? You know, we saw it last week with Pilate. And Pilate said, I find no charge against this man. This man is innocent. This man does not deserve to die. I will write a note saying he is the king. I believe he is. Perhaps. I and mean, then step away and have him crucified. John saw believed and went home. Oh, what a sad story. What a sad story to see the evidence that Jesus is not dead and then to go home. And then to go home. As if nothing has happened. As if to suppress, no, it can't be so. and yet something new was stirring. As we find mary doesn't go home you know she's still there at the tomb and she is she is bawling her eyes out. when she, when it says she's crying and weeping it doesn't mean that she's gently crying it means that she is bawling. she she is just Overwhelmed by grief and, and you know how it is we, we see her and she's at the entrance and we're told that she looks down to peer into the cave you know that oh maybe it's not true maybe it's oh, maybe I didn't see it maybe he isn't there maybe the body is there I'll have another look no, no, surely it can't be crying 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 and she looks in and she sees these two angels and so overwhelmed is she with grief and sorrow that, that she doesn't get the fright of her life. You know, if you see an angel, normally in the Bible, your, your first response is fear. Your first response is to tremble. Your first response is, oh, what now? But Mary is just crying. And the angels say to her, woman, why are you crying? And she is so overwhelmed, she just says, pushes them off, says, what have you done with him? Where is he? He's angels. And, and while she's busy talking to them, she hears a sound behind her probably and she turns away from them. Out of my way, I've got somebody else to ask. Maybe they've taken him. And she sees a man. A man in a garden. Second man. As Paul calls him in Romans 5, the second Adam. Clothed. You know, I said on Friday that when they executed Jesus, they stripped him and they gambled for his clothes. And then they buried him covered with cloths which are lying in the grave. I suspect if he was naked, the Bible would tell us. Where am I going with this? You know, at the end of the story of Eden, when God is throwing them out, I mentioned it on Friday, what did he do? He made them clothes. God gave by his grace clothing to Adam and Eve and said, yeah, this is how much I love you. It just ties in again for me. Here is this new Adam. Here is this man in the garden and he is fully clothed. Can't push that too far because the Bible doesn't tell us that he's clothed, but as I say, it wouldn't tell us. I'm sure if he was naked, he wasn't. And he is Jesus, but he is different. Because when, when, when Mary looks at him, she, she just assumes he's a gardener, and she says, Sir, if you've taken him, let me know. I will go and fetch him. Me, little old Mary, I'll sling him over my shoulder if I have to. Didn't recognize Jesus. Some people will say, Oh, she was crying so much, she couldn't see through her tears. Rubbish. If Your attention is on the person... <laughs> That is the person you will recognize, is it not? And yet there's something different about Jesus. And it's only when he calls her name, Mary. Now it's interesting if, if you look through the, the Greek, we're, we're told that here when Jesus calls her name, he calls her by her Hebrew name. English doesn't translate it, but Miriam. Miriam. her real name her own name this he just he knows her Maria, and it's like scales falling off the eyes. and she just <laughs> she goes mad <laughs> she grabs him you know if you look through a whole bunch of paintings um, from well from forever really, up until the Middle, Middle Ages, medieval period, um, they paint the scene. And there's a picture of Mary kneeling on the ground, reaching towards Jesus, and Jesus standing like this. Do not touch me. Do not touch me. Don't come close. It's a nice way to greet somebody, isn't it? I well, what would be the point to go and see Mary if, if you're just going to say, don't touch me, Mary? Why are you crying? Don't touch. That's not what Jesus is saying. <laughs> you see, later he says to the disciple, put your hand in my side. <laughs> I mean, there's touch. Feel the holes where the nails went through. Now, what Jesus is saying, is Mary, Miriam, things are different now. You see, Mary had been waiting there at the tomb, and and now she saw Jesus, and I believe she was convinced that if she just held on to Him tightly enough, He wouldn't be able to go, and things would be able to carry on just as they always had carried on, and He would be there, and she would be there, and it would be back to what it was supposed to be interruption of the Friday what would have been useless. She wasn't going to let him go. She didn't want things to change. And says Jesus to her, Mary, don't cling to me. Why? Because I've yet to ascend to my Father. In other words, Mary, things are different. Things are different now. It's not the same. You can't hold me. You can't hold on to to the life you had with me. Mary, things are different now. This is new now. Yes, I'm Jesus, but, 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 but things are different. Things are new. And how are they new? He tells us in the message He gives to take to the disciples. Verse 17, one of my absolute favorite verses in chapter 20 of John. He says, Go and tell the disciples, I am going to your father and to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Go and tell my brothers. You know what? If you read through the book of John up till chapter 20, Jesus speaks about my father, he speaks about the father who sent me, he speaks about the father in heaven. And He comes here after the resurrection and it's no longer the Father, my Father, the Father in heaven. It is my Father and your Father. My God and your God. You are now my brothers. That's what the resurrection has done. That is what the resurrection has done. It has made you and I brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. And it has made God our Father. We have been adopted if we believe in Jesus Christ through Him into the family of God. He is our God just as He is Jesus' God. And that is what is new. That is what is different. That is what is right. That is what was intended from the beginning in the garden when God made Adam and Eve. and, and, And He made them so that they would be in a relationship with Him. So that they could walk with Him and talk with Him and and be with Him. And Jesus says, now I have been raised. Now that is reality. My brothers and my sisters. My Father is your Father. My God is your God. Wow. I don't know about you, but that blows my mind. To have Jesus say, my father is your father. And Mary, of course, runs back, (laughs) tells the disciples, they don't really believe her. The other Gospels, Luke, tells us that they thought it was a nonsense story. They're still in the upper room hiding out by this stage the Jews are out to get them (laughs) round up those troublemakers the followers of this this Jesus and all of a sudden isn't it brilliant Jesus is there in their midst and he says peace be with you you know what he promised in the week leading up to this he promised that he would give them his peace And his first appearance to them, he says, "Peace be with you." And he shows them the wounds, and they believe and they rejoice. Uh, and Jesus says, oh. "He breathes on them." He says, "Receive the Holy Spirit." Basically, commissions them to go and, uh, and share the good news. You know that word for breathing? This is the only time it's in the New Testament used three times in the Old Testament, uh, in the Greek version of the Old Testament. One is in Genesis 2 verse 7 when God breathes life into Adam. The other is in, um, I believe it's in Kings where Elisha breathes into the nostrils of a dead boy and asks God to give him life. The final usage is in Ezekiel chapter 37, the valley of dry bones, when God speaks about breathing over them and they will come back to life. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is looking at His disciples. He's already told them, you are our family. And He breathes over them. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. What He's doing is receive life. My life. Receive life. What is life? It is to know Jesus Christ. And we know Jesus. We know that we know Jesus because we have His Spirit within us. Receive the Holy Spirit. And of course, then we've got Thomas. As I said, I feel really sorry for old Thomas. This poor man, the twin. And I feel sorry for him because I am right there with him. Quite often, I'm, well, more often than not, I'm skeptical about everything. I would be with Thomas, I'm sure. I'd say, right, show me the evidence. Show me the proof. Show me how you can claim that Jesus is alive. I wonder if they hadn't said that to John before Jesus appeared to them in the upper room. I wonder if they hadn't said that to Mary. What's this message, Mary? Show us the evidence. It's a nonsense story you're telling. And by His grace, Jesus does appear in the second week on the Sunday again to Thomas. And He says, Thomas, come on. Feel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Look, look. It's me. I'm alive. I'm real. Come on. Should we judge Thomas as the doubter? Should we say Thomas should have just believed? Well, Jesus says, really blessed are those who believe without seeing. As Reg said, most of us have not seen the risen Jesus. That would make us apostles. We're not. (laughs) And yet we believe on the evidence of what they have seen. And Jesus says, really blessed are you if you can take that evidence and the witness and the testimony of those who have seen me you know in, in Corinthians I believe Paul goes to some extent to say that there was these people saw Jesus these people saw Jesus 500 people saw Jesus there is evidence that he is alive But you know Thomas he was exactly like the other disciples John in the tomb saw and believed saw and believed. Mary saw Jesus. And boy did she believe. The disciples in the upper room saw Jesus. And then they believed. Thomas eventually <laughs> saw Jesus and then he believed. The two on the road to Emmaus saw Jesus. He opened the scriptures to them and then they believed. I don't think it's fair to to jump on Thomas's back. In fact, I appreciate Thomas because he he stands for all of us doubters. He's our representative for us who have yet to see Jesus. And if a doubter like him could see Jesus and say what he says. You know, this is the first time in the Gospel of John that anybody says to Jesus, my Lord, that's fine, my Lord, plenty of people have said that. My Lord and my God. My Lord. Things are different. With the resurrection, there's been a new creation. All things are new in Christ Jesus. He is the same, and yet He is new. And our relationship with Him is different from what the disciples had walking through the, the regions of Judea. We cannot cling to that kind of thing. But with his new life, he gives us new life. And he says to us, you are my brothers. You are my sisters. Father is your father. God is your God. As Thomas says to us, he is our God. Brilliant stuff. Amen.